Today's scripture reading is from uh, Colossians uh, 4, verses 2 to 6. 你们要横切祷告，在此警醒感恩，也要为我们祷告，求神给我们开传道的门，能以讲基督的奥秘，我为此啊被捆锁，叫我按照所该说的话，将这奥秘发明出来。你们要爱惜光阴，用智慧与外
Father, I pray that you would use whatever insufficient words that I have, add to those, make it sufficient for all of us. I thank you for this opportunity to speak to your people, and I pray that you would make all of us as a body receptive to what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see if I can get my clicker going. Yep, it works. Um, so we're going to do some review, because we've been studying the book of Colossians for a while. Colossians has four books. It's a letter written by Paul. He wrote it from prison. He wrote it to the Colossians. The Colossians were having some trouble in their church. There were some issues of heresy, which means that some people had the wrong ideas about the gospel. Their problem essentially was that in order to be a Christian, it's Jesus and what he offers plus some other stuff. Jesus plus. That was their gospel. That in order to be a good Christian, it was Jesus plus, and that plus was a lot of rules. And people were getting hung up on the rules in this church, and they were criticizing each other, and there were factions, and they were saying, you have to follow all of these rules in order to be righteous. And Paul, from prison, had heard about that, and he was sending a letter to be delivered by some of his fellow missionaries who were going there to tell them, look, it's just Jesus. You got to get rid of the plus. Let's get, you got to get your focus on Jesus on, as a person. That's the situation he was preaching into. And he went through... Colossians 1 really was, let's go back to basics, folks. It's, here's who he is. And so in Colossians 1, he was, these are some direct quotes from Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. This is God made flesh. God in front of us so we could see him. The best, most clear revelation of God is Jesus Christ. God made flesh. All things were created through him and for him. Everything you see around you, every person, every, all of history, the entire universe, made through Jesus, for Jesus. That's a pretty radical statement. I don't know if we go through every day thinking that way, if that's part of our mindset on a daily basis. He is the head of the body, the church. We're an elder-led church. We've got a group of five elders that are help to govern this church, but we are not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church and of the universal church. He has a very important role as the head of the body, our head. And here's another quote, and you, and now he's talking to the Colossians, and I think to us, who once were alienated and hostile in mind. 
doing evil deeds. That describes every one of us. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Back to basics, right? Here's who Jesus is. That's really what Colossians 1 was about. Let's get some agreement on who Jesus is. And there have been some words that we've used earlier in this series. One of them was that Christ is, there's, it's about the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. That's often what people say this book of Colossians is about. Supremacy, what does it mean to be supreme? Let's us get clear on that. Supreme means superior to all others. And when we say Christ is supreme, it means there is no one better. There is no one in a station above Christ. He may at one time have been submissive to the will of the Father before he was crucified, but that doesn't mean that he was less. He is supreme. No one can compare to Christ in terms of goodness. He's also sufficient. I have a hard time with that word because I think in English, when we say sufficient, we often mean like just enough. Isn't that how we usually use that word in English? It's, it's just enough, but I don't think there's more to the definition, and I think Paul was, focused, was maybe using this in a different, or when we talk about Christ as sufficient, there's another way that we say it sometimes. Sometimes we say all sufficient. Does that have a better meaning for some of you, to say all sufficient? And I think that means when we say sufficient or all sufficient, the part of it that we need to focus on is that when it comes to Christ and us, there is nothing lacking. There's nothing missing. Some of you may have seen a diagram. So I, I remember as a kid, I got a little booklet called Four Steps to Peace with God. Have you ever seen that? It's like a, a little tool that evangelists use to tell the gospel to people. And one of the diagrams in that book is two cliffs and a big canyon between. Raise your hand if you've seen that before, that diagram. Yeah, it's familiar, right? And we're on one side and a state of peace with God, and that huge gap represents sin. And everything we might try to do to get across that gap falls short. But Jesus, dying on the cross, filled that gap, and he filled it perfectly. That's his sufficiency for us. There is nothing lacking. It's not as though he, the, the cross fills up three-quarters of that gap, and we've got to do a little more to actually get to the other side. That's not how it is. He gets us all the way. Christ is sufficient. In Colossians 2, you remember that was when Craig spoke to us. It's continuing that message. 
if Christ is supreme and sufficient, and we really believe that, we have an understanding that he has saved us by his grace, and it's his grace alone. And Paul's point in that chapter 2 is that we can't get bogged down as a church or as individuals by rules and behaviors. Because if we do start to focus too much on rules and behaviors, observing tradition, observing um, rules about what you can eat, whether to be circumcised or not, there's all these rules. He was preaching to a group where, you know, there were people there that had a long history of being rule followers. And he was saying, you've got to let some of that go, because if you focus on it too much, then you're going to be preaching a gospel of Christ plus something else to be righteous. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ and Christ alone. His grace is sufficient. Nothing lacking. It's not that it's bad to have a special feast with religious meaning, or to be circumcised, or to follow the Sabbath rules, or to... Those rules in themselves aren't bad, but those should come after righteousness. It's kind of just getting things in the right order. We live by faith in him, not by any faith in our actions. It's a critical point. Christ is our everything. If he is supreme, if he is sufficient, then he is our everything. We had two songs that we sang today that talked about Christ changes everything. He is our everything. Nothing lacking. Our only hope of glory is by abiding in him. What does that look like? Christ is my everything. means my full attention and worship is on him. He is superior to all others. I know he can meet all my needs. So as I use that phrase, Christ as my everything, that's what I mean. For those of you that are married, think back to those early stages of dating when you were just so focused on that person. They were like your whole world at that point. You thought about them all the time. You wanted to be with them all the time. And maybe you felt that way if you're a Christian when you were first a Christian. And maybe that feeling has slipped a little bit. And I think that's kind of what we want to get back to is feeling like we want to be with him all the time, to give him our full attention. Last week, we heard a really cool testimony from James and Joanne, and they shared how their marriage is changing, getting better. And it didn't come from following lots of different rules and from following lots of different steps that might have been presented in a marriage workshop, what it came from is when they focused on their relationships individually with Christ and were able to get right with him and kind of go back to that basics. And then all of a sudden, they found that there was an outpouring of love for each other. 
their marriage was improved by stepping back, getting focused on Jesus Christ, and then they're able to be um, in a better marriage as a result of that. With Christ in the middle, it's a better marriage. James also talked about the power of being thankful and how important it is to be thankful. And we're going to return to that theme somewhat today. Some of the themes that we're going to get into today in Colossians 4, um, I'm not going to preach the whole book, but I'm going to look specifically at five verses. And the themes that, I, that I'd like us to examine today are prayer, the importance of it, watchfulness, thankfulness, thanksgiving, and telling others about Jesus. Those are the themes we're going to get into today. Before we do, a story. You like a good story, right? For better or for worse, that's our dog. My daughter, she's the, the better part. When we first got the dog, his name is Cody. No offense, Cody. We didn't name our dog after you. He came that way. Um, when we first got Cody, we just adopted Cody back in August. When we first got Cody, we were really excited. Such a sweet dog. He's a golden retriever, 105 pounds of golden retriever. This was my wife's idea, not my idea. She wore me down. We adopted this dog, and he came, and he's such a sweet dog. But he just laid around all the time. Three days in, my daughter Ellie was like, this dog is boring. You know, we'd built it up for a while that we were getting a dog, and she was so excited. And three days in, she said, this dog is boring. He won't play with me. And it was true. He just was kind of boring. And he actually itched all the time. He was always scratching at his ears, and he had sores on his belly. And he stunk. He did not smell good. He was not a very, I mean, as he, his personality was great, just a really sweet disposition, but otherwise, he wasn't a very nice dog. And we were thinking, what is going on? And we tried different things. Let's try a different soap. Let's bathe him multiple times a week. Let's give him different food. Let's give him, you know, brush him and groom him and put medicine on his sores. We tried all these different things. And nothing was working. He continued to get these sores. They might get better a little bit, but then they just come back. And he continued to be really low energy. It was hard to get him to go out for a walk. That's not normal for a dog. Dogs should want to go out for a walk. Um, so we finally took him to the vet. And the vet said, well, it could be a thyroid problem. And they did a blood test, and lo and behold, he had low thyroid. And they said, here, give, give him this thyroid medication. And after taking the thyroid medication for a couple of weeks, Cody became a different dog. He still had sores. He still had thin fur, and it was stunk pretty bad. And, but he was starting to get a little pep. And he started getting interested in playing, and he started feeling better. And now, a few months after having that, here's Cody. 
and he's ready to play any moment, day or night. Uh, he's transformed. And we still do a lot of those other things. He still gets a pretty regular bath, and he still has a special food, and he still has some of those other things, but really the key to his transformation was that thyroid medication. We tried a lot of other things, but that was the key to him kind of bouncing back, and now he doesn't smell nearly as bad, all the scabs are gone, and he's a, he's a much happier and more energetic dog. But it was important that we found the cure. Now, that's a really bad analogy for what Jesus does for us because he is far more comprehensive of a cure for us than thyroid medication is for a dog. But the fact of the matter is we as people often try to make ourselves happy in so many different ways. I need a different vacation. I need a new job. I need better pay. I need... And we have all of these things that we say we need in order to be happy. None of those things satisfy. The only thing that can truly make us happy is Jesus. Our sickness, pride, sin, blindness to the truth about reality. We don't go through every day thinking about Christ as our supreme and sufficient God as our everything. We have misguided thinking about the best way to live. The cure for us is that belief that Jesus is our everything. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth, the life. We need to believe that. He is supreme. He is all-sufficient. He has reconciled us to God. That's our cure. As I think about Colossians as a book, um, a word comes to my mind. And it's a word that I haven't heard much in this church. I think other churches perhaps use it more. I'm going to share it with you today. It's worldview. Maybe you've heard that word. I've done a lot of reading about worldview, read a lot of books on the topic. And essentially, the best definition that I've found is your, your worldview is how you answer the big questions about God or gods. Does God exist? If yes, how many are there? What's the nature of God? What are the different people on this planet answer that question differently? How did we get here? The question of origins. How we should live. How you answer those questions, that forms your worldview. It's a filter that you're going to use as you go through every day to think about making sense of the world around you. If you get a little bit of extra money from your employer, you can think, oh, well, I deserved that, or wow, a blessing from God. Which one of those you chose might have been influenced by your worldview. When you think about 
things that are going on in the world, big world events, issues like global warming or political unrest or war, you, your take, your perspective on those big things happening in the world are going to be colored and influenced by your worldview. If you think there is no God, you can be pretty pessimistic when things start to go wrong, and you can think, how are people going to fix it? If you think there is a God, you can say, yes, this is difficult, but I can stay focused on my supreme and sufficient Savior, and I know, I trust he's got my back no matter how things get, no matter how bad things get. Jesus is our only hope. Um, out of thankfulness, we can look for ways to share his grace and love with others as well. Your worldview is going to, I think, influence your conversations in meaningful ways. Far, far, I apologize. I am not following my script. Thank you for translating today, but I'm going way off from what I said I was going to talk about. Last week, and I think this is kind of a worldview that connects to the idea of worldview, Rick was talking about people in the Bible. David and Saul were two of the examples I remember who had a view of a big God versus a small God. And if you've got a big God view, then your problems are going to seem small. If you've got a small God view, your problems are going to seem big. So these lines up here are potential prayers that we could pray. And I think some of them indicate a big view and some of them perhaps a small view. Thank you, God. Big God, providing for my needs. A little help here, God. Small. Right? Just help me when I need help. A little help here, God. I'm struggling. Everything is yours, God. Big view. I'll try harder, God. If we feel like it's us that has to try harder, then that means God's not sufficient. Jesus, use me to love others. Big. God can empower us to serve others, to love other people. So here's the first point. I'm going to have to move quick because I've got four of these. We'll go fast. If your worldview is centered on the truth that Jesus is supreme and sufficient, if that's the basis for your understanding about the world, about reality, Jesus is your everything, then your prayers, your actions, your speech will reflect that. You will not be like everyone else in the world. You will be different in the way you act, in the way you think, in the way you pray. 
And that was Paul's point. You've got to have a right understanding of who Jesus is if you want to be in a right relationship with him and if you want your church to be healthy and focused on him, not on rules and regulations that are just really distractions. Look for a theme in these verses. Colossians 4.2, continue, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Are you watching for the theme? Giving thanks, this is Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Colossians 3, 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Getting the theme yet? Colossians 3:17. and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whoops. And back to where we started in Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What's the theme through all that? Thanksgiving and thankfulness. And I really think that it's no accident that Paul put that at so many different places in this book. It's the context for us. As we go through every day, the way we maintain that worldview as a church, as individuals, the way, the way we maintain our focus on Christ and his sufficiency, his all-sufficiency, his everything to us, is by continually being thankful. That's the prayer that should always be on your lips, in your head. Thankfulness to God what I have right now, what I'm experiencing right now, the joys that I have of, of family, the food that I'm about to eat, the job that I have, the trip I get to take, the people I get to serve, I'm thankful to God for all of it. If you are continually thankful, it keeps you centered. It keeps you focused on who you are thankful to. There's a lot of research out there even in secular circles right now, that says having an attitude of gratitude is really good for us. It lowers your blood pressure, it keeps you healthier. There are all these benefits of being grateful. And what they never talk about is grateful to who? You can't just be grateful in a general sense. There must be an object, someone to be grateful to. But they leave that part out. They just kind of leave it hanging, a half-finished thought. But as Christians, we have the secret. It's about being grateful to having gratitude toward our everything, Jesus Christ. Amen?
I'm going to get to those words now about being steadfast in prayer, watchful in it. Steadfast in prayer, watchful in it. Let me catch up with my notes. When I think of that idea of being steadfast, it's, um, it means it's continual, it's habitual. I don't neglect, if I'm steadfast about something, that means I'm not neglecting that something. I continue to do it, I make it a priority. And when I think about being watchful, how, how do you be watchful in your prayers? I think maybe it's about praying for watchfulness. God, make me aware of things. Make me aware of opportunities. Make me aware of myself and how I might need to be different in what I'm going to do in the next half a year, the next day, the next two minutes. Watchful in prayer. That's an idea maybe we need to explore a little bit. Being thankful, I think, is essential. If we want Christ to be our everything all of the time, we express that thankfulness in prayer. Prayer helps us to be watchful for opportunities God gives us. talked about this before Christmas, do you remember? The phone. When you have a concern or a question, do you grab your phone first or do you pray about it first? Might depend on it, but I, I, I think an awful lot, we may like instantly, I think, I think for me personally, I probably think, I'm going to Google that. I don't know about that. I'm going to Google that. Or I'm going to go and connect with maybe one of you or with somebody else that I know using WeChat or some other social media and get the question out there. I see this actually um, in my work. I'm a school administrator and I'm, off, I'm exhorting people often. Like, if you have a question or a concern about what's going on here at school, please come and talk to me or even just try to look the answer up on the website. Don't go to WeChat as your authoritative source for what's happening here at school. And often that's what parents do. They'll, you know, maybe they're, it's, it's just so easy, right? It's so easy to just go on WeChat and say, you know, I heard that all they do in seventh grade is play video games all the time. Is that true? And they put it on WeChat and all of a sudden it goes viral and it's just infectious and cancerous and everybody's talking about the fact that all kids do in my school in seventh grade is play video games. Just come and talk to me about it. Like, and I'm not saying that I'm equating myself with God, but we have an authoritative source, somebody who actually is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's even easier than pulling out your phone and WeChatting 
And yet, if you count the number of emails and text messages you sent last year compared to the number of prayers you prayed last year, where do you think you're going to find the bigger number? That's being steadfast. If, our, if we go to God more often than to our phone, I would say maybe that's a good measure of being steadfast in prayer. A challenge for us to consider. He's right there. He's always been right there. This is pretty new and a big distraction for us these days. Might make it even harder for us sometimes to be steadfast in prayer. couple more points, and we'll get to the end. Colossians 4, verses 3 and 4. This is Paul talking to the people in Colossians. He's saying, pray for me, pray for us, the missionaries, that God may open up a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. He's preaching from prison. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He's saying, pray for me so that I will know how to best share the gospel, even from my place here in prison. I want to be able to speak well. I need your prayers. So our prayers, when we're talking about the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ, so much, so right now it's been very focused on us and God, but it also needs to be us praying for others. Praying for the effectiveness of others in their walk. Paul is saying, I covet your prayers. I want your prayers. I am trying to be watchful myself for these opportunities, but when those opportunities come, I want to be effective in my speech in declaring the mystery of Christ so that other people can enter into that mystery and see him as their hope of glory as well. So a third point, our prayers should also include prayers for the effective witness of others. Let's be praying for each other. The whole world needs this supreme and all-sufficient Jesus. Let's be praying for those people around the world who are actively taking the gospel to people. And people right here in our church as well. Let's pray for each other, for our effective witness. The cure is needed out there. The last two verses in the section that we're looking at today, Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Paul changes the focus again. He's now, now he's not, he's saying, pray for me and my witness. And then he says, and here's some advice for you. In addition to praying, do these things as well should be part of our worldview. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, people outside of the church. Making the best use of the time. I've heard that idea before. Do you remember our series on Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 5, 
verses 15 and 16, said, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Similar themes here. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. In Paul's mind, time is like an enemy. There's a certain urgency. We can't just wait. As Christians, there's a certain urgency. There's a harvest here. And if we just wait and we're not being watchful and looking for those opportunities, time will pass by. Opportunities could be missed. That would be a shame. It's not going to make you less righteous if you miss an opportunity because all of your righteousness comes from Christ and what he's already done, but you might miss a great opportunity, and that would be a shame. And Paul is saying, make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Uh, Brian and I talked about that yesterday. What does that mean for your speech to always be gracious? In another translation, it says, let your speech always be full of grace. And at first I thought, well, that must mean something like, always be respectful. Like, be nice. I don't know if it's always about being nice. I think maybe it's about let your speech be full of the grace of Christ. Like, talk about Christ and his grace. Make that part of your conversations. Figure out how to weave it in to your conversations that you have. And we really had fun yesterday talking about this idea of seasoned with salt. It's interesting to think about what Paul might be meaning by using that metaphor. He's certainly not talking about grab a handful of salt and chuck it in as you're speaking to somebody, as you're witnessing, throw some salt in there. That's not what he means. It's a metaphor. Rick likes to talk about salt when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. He says we are the salt of the earth. And... Salt preserves, salt makes things tasty, salt really stings when it gets in a cut. So all these, but it cures as well. It can purify and sterilize. Salt has all these different things. And I think if you think about that in the context of conversation, it means you might not always just say the same thing over and over again in every context. Walking into every context and just saying, you need Jesus. Just let Jesus fix it. And always saying, let that, you know, those two lines, you need Jesus, Jesus, I, I love you, I'll pray for you. There are other things we can say. Sometimes the context matters, and we need to be praying. And sometimes it might be saying to somebody, look, if you keep going down the road you're going down right now, your life is going to end really badly. And I'm here to tell you that you need Jesus. That's one way of saying it. Another person might really be hurting, and you might say you need the comfort of Jesus. There are different ways to bring Jesus into a conversation. It says, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. And you might think, well, I don't know how to do that. That's really hard. How do I know to, 
how do I know how to bring Jesus into every possible situation where I might be able to share the gospel with somebody? That's a tall order. Not if you're in constant prayer with Jesus and he's nudging you and the Holy Spirit is right there helping you. If you are in tune, if you are in that worldview and you are focused on Jesus as supreme and sufficient, you'll have the words. And that's what Paul is saying. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Don't miss those opportunities. Our dealings with non-believers should be bold, full of grace. We don't have the time to leave Jesus out of our conversations completely. We should be watchful in our prayer. We should be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So here's some scenarios as we close things out today. Your, co- your co-worker says, I'm stressed out. I hate my job and I have no idea why I'm here. Maybe you felt that way. <laughs> but a co-worker says that to you. Is there a way to preach Jesus into that situation? Is Jesus sufficient for that person in that situation with that kind of thinking? Think about what you might say. A relative posts on Facebook, I'm going to be a new dad. I'm excited and I'm also terrified. Can you preach Jesus into that situation? Is that an opportunity for you as a Christ follower? Your son gets a new Xbox and proclaims, this is the best day ever. And you're thinking, is it? Is that an opportunity to preach Christ into the situation? How might you do that? You're waiting at the doctor and the lady next to you tells you she has cancer. Is it an opportunity to preach Christ into that situation? Absolutely. So, I think they got printed into the bulletin. Did the questions make it in? No? You can make note of these if you want. Questions for reflection as we go away today. Am I walking every day with a sense of thankfulness toward Christ? Am I centering myself in that worldview that he is everything? Are we as a church seeking wisdom and opportunity to boldly and respectfully declare that Christ is supreme and all-sufficient? Let's pray about those. Father God, Thank you for the gift of your word, for the way we, our thoughts can be illuminated by the truth that's revealed there. Help us as we go from this place to be focused on you, to be focused on you as a person. Thank you for the love that you give us. Help us know best how to share that love with those around us in the church, in our families, 
outside the church and our families, how do we best share your love? Give us wisdom. Give us boldness. Help us to not miss those opportunities to share your love with others. We want to be your hands and feet. Thank you for loving us for so much and, and for giving us opportunities. We thank you. Thank you for being our everything. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.